And at the end of the day, I mean, grammar, logic, and rhetoric, that is the curriculum. I mean, we offer classes in grammar because we teach traditional logic and we teach rhetoric. So we do, we have entire classes that are dedicated to these skills. Hey, I'm Shane, and this is my guest, Mitchell Holly. Good to be here. Mitch and I, on our last episode, we talked about moral philosophy, and we had such a great time. And one of the things he said is that he uh, was so captivated when he came to Memorial Press by the, the education that he learned about liberal arts. And it, it triggered a thought for me, something I've been thinking about. And that is, I think it would be really helpful to spend a few weeks talking about the basics of classical education, specifically the liberal arts. Um, that was an idea I had and felt like going into the summer, we could have one guest on who, who knows his stuff and we could talk about the liberal arts every week. And so I brought on my friend and guest, uh, Mitchell Holly. So Mitch, remind me what you do with Memorial Press Online Academy is I know that your knowledge of the liberal arts has brought a dynamic to that work that is really helpful. Yeah, well, um... Thank you for that glowing introduction. Uh, hopefully, I can live up to some of our uh, some of the uh, the hype there. Uh, but I work for the Moroy Press Online Academy, the principal of the Online Academy, and I also get to teach a few classes. So it's kind of the perfect uh, the perfect job. That's awesome. And then, as I mentioned on our last episode, you also are the Greek specialist. Greek is a love of yours. You are even reading Greek books to your infant child. Is yeah, that correct? yeah, we're we're doing we're doing a few. Uh, you know, she's four months, so yep. she's you know Good. developing her Greek skills, uh, <laughs> slow basis, but uh, we're getting there Good. with her. Uh, but yeah, it, I mean, I mean, t just a perfect situation. You know, get to work in an education environment, but also get to uh, continue to do something I love like Greek as well. So it's um, it's I've landed in a perfect spot. So this first episode is going to be an overview of definitions. <clears throat> a lot of the reason that we have jobs is because. In our culture, in education broadly in America, definitions have slid. There is an imprecision in definitions. There is confusion about what education is, what it should be for, yeah. how to do it. And people who came before us had started to make headway in this, and they brought us along and taught us a lot of what they knew about how these words have precise definitions that we can recover and help to bring education to future generations. And so one of the most important concepts is the liberal arts. Yeah. And the liberal arts, it, I mean, it's kind of a uh, confused topic today, right? Like the word, it, the, that phrase, the, the liberal arts is kind of banded about. I mean, right. we went to a, a liberal arts college, <laughs> yeah, true. you know, uh, and your major is English. That's or, right. Or, yeah. Or, I mean, it's a funny story. Basically I had always thought I was going to be a pastor. Mm -hmm. I was heading towards ministry. Um, and I started as biblical studies at mm -hmm. this liberal arts college. And really it was vocational training. I learned about leading music and <laughs> the specifics of counseling, all good things that I would then do again when I went to seminary. So about two years in, I had a literature class with this guy named uh, Mr. Nathan Hofstetter. Shout out Mr. Yeah. Hofstetter if you ever listen to this. Just yeah. an amazing man yeah. who opened my eyes to the beauty and the profundity of literature and what it teaches us about being human. And at the time, I thought I was making a movement towards the liberal arts. Right. Um, since then, I've, 
I've grown. You had a similar path, right? Yeah, yeah. So my, I started off, you know, in the freshman year, saying, you know, I think I maybe would like to consider going into ministry. But then quickly, like that first year, said, you know, the humanities is going to be the route for me. Um, and so, you know, got a degree in humanities. I did keep the Greek minor, so we had all of our Greek classes together uh, up until our last year, I think. And um, I remember every Greek class for us for every single semester of our college was like at seven o'clock in the morning. That's right. As I recall. Yeah. Um, but you raise a good point, you know, at a liberal arts school, um, you know, we often think of like the English department as like the liberal arts, right? right? right. Like, you know, if you're going to major in literature and writing, then that's, that's the liberal arts. And so that kind of raises a definitional question, I would say. That's right. Um, about, about the liberal arts. Um, okay. So let me ask you this. Let's just start with liberal arts. What are they? Right. So traditionally, there's the seven liberal arts, right? This And this is this is the trivium, three, <laughs> and the quadrivium, four, right? So there's three and four. And, uh, you know, so for the trivium, you have grammar, logic, and rhetoric. And then for the quadrivium, you have arithmetic, uh, geometry, music, and astronomy. Yeah. Right. Um, and so, you know, I guess we'll spend, you know, a couple of weeks, you know, answering that question, though, what those exactly are. But in just in terms of what they are, it's those seven skills, those seven arts. Yeah. So talk to me, too, about why we use this word liberal arts. Right. So, I mean, I think this kind of yeah. gets at what you were pointing mm -hmm. out with the irony that I thought I was getting a liberal arts degree when I studied English. Right. Right. Well, and this is, it's helpful to, you know, begin to make a few distinctions. And before you can really kind of define what these terms are, they have to be placed into a context. Um, and, and so the, at the broadest level, um, in, in the context of education, there's really um, two things, two kind of domains that consist, of, that constitute an education, right? You have the arts and you have the sciences. Which is funny because we use those words now to talk about arts refer to basically music, drama, and any kind of visual art. Yes. And science yeah. basically exclusively refers to what they used to call natural philosophy. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. But that's, right. Not, that's yeah, not correct so We anymore. have to break these words down a little bit, right, because they have a historical meaning and that and, and that's kind of began to define these, right? So, you know, um, you're right. Like when we think about art um, and the arts, we tend to think about either, um, you know, the end product for an artist, right? A painter develops, uh, you know, he makes art, or we tend to think about the, the craft of, of the artist, like he works on his art, he's good at his art, right? right. Um, or he's, you know, so he makes art and he's good at his art. But when we use the word art from the Latin ars, which means skill, we're referring more to the definition of art in the phrase that, that's kind of captured in the phrase the art of conversation mm. so in the phrase the art of conversation we're not we're not referring to like the end product of something of, of an artist product productive activity we're not really talking about the fact that he's doing it we're talking about a skill mm. the skill of conversation yeah so in that in that clause the art of conversation what we have is some residual definition of what the true latin word is which means skill, the skill or the art of conversation. So, um, you know, and as a skill, right, then that's something that's developed. So it's helpful to kind of go back and look at, okay, 
we we use the word art, um, but the Latin word really does mean skill. And so that's one piece of right. uh, of what an education in that broader context, what an education is, um, arts. The second thing to make a distinction about is what do we mean by science? Mm. You know, so when I say that um, education has two broad domains, the arts and the sciences, um, I don't mean kind of the code analytical sciences like biology, anatomy, chemistry. What I mean is, um, is uh, comes from the Greek word scientia, right? Which is um, just kind of broadly refers to domains of knowledge. So mm -hmm. you can have the human sciences called the humanities. Right. And this is where you, this is like, this is where you got your degree, right? It's in English and in literature, um, which is one of the human sciences. It's one of the moral sciences. Uh, the other sciences that would go in the in that category would be like, um, you know, so obviously literature, um, but you know, philosophy, um, and you know, history, other, history um, right? This is exactly right. So those are the three human sciences, um, but then you you have these others, you know, domains of knowledge as well, you know, that would in, that encapsulate the other sciences like chemistry, biology, right? Right, right, right? Natural sciences where you're studying the natural world. So. Um, you know, if again, going back to that broad context, arts, which are the liberal arts, and then um, and more than that, but essentially the liberal arts and then the sciences and it, an education should have those two pieces, mm. right? It should have skills and knowledge. And that knowledge is going to encapsulate everything that there is to that you could know, right? right about right. history, philosophy, anatomy, chemistry, Even theology, theology as one of the moral sciences as well. Um, so there's um, a lot, a lot can be said about the sciences. And when most people think about education, they tend to just think about the sciences yeah. and, and those domains of knowledge that, um, because there's just so much there and mm -hmm. in our understanding of the natural world is it has grown exponentially mm -hmm. since the enlightenment. And so, um, you know, when we think about an education day, we're um, we tend to think exclusively in terms of the impartation of knowledge. Yeah. Um, and, and that's where, you know, going back to the liberal arts is. What you're, what you're saying has so many implications for how we approach the task of education. And we say it all the time here that um, one of the biggest problems, and there are many, but one of the biggest problems in the modern educational movement is this la is this hyper specification and focus on the natural sciences, mm -hmm. which de-emphasize the importance of content mm -hmm. um, and the loss of arts as skills. Mm -hmm. That these these skills <clears throat> are the the ability to acquire knowledge that are in the sciences. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that the breakdown of definition has such a practical ramification uh, mm -hmm. that you see in in the educational curriculums that most people use. Yeah, and this is why it's important, again, to make another distinction. You know, if you're gonna, if, the, if these are the two broad domains of, of, of education, the arts and the sciences, well, which, which ones are more important? Mm. Well, in one sense, they're both central, right, right to an education. Um, but in another sense, um, you're probably not gonna remember all of the things you learned about chemistry or, you know, unless you go into that field, you're probably not gonna remember all the things you learned about uh, medieval history. Um, you might not even remember how to pronounce all the Greek, you know, famous Greeks names, you know, <laughs> like Themistocles, Demosthenes, uh, you know, you probably, those are gonna slip away. But what hopefully won't slip away are these skills, these tools for thinking. Um, you know, and so that's why, you know, yes, both are vitally important to an education, especially classical education. Mm. 
um, a, a classical education is content heavy. Right. Um, but the one of the advantages of a classical education is that it also recognizes the longevity of and the and really the long term importance um, of the liberal arts as tools that teach us not only what to think but how to think. Mm. Yeah. Right. And so the, these skills are, are and, you know, we'll continue to define them a little bit, but, um, you know, they're vitally important for just your ability to, you know, even as you're, you're going to forget things that you learned in school, but you'll all, when you have the skills, the liberal arts, then you'll always be able to reacquire knowledge, right? right? You'll always be able to dig further because you know how to think well. That's a great point. And, and like you said, we're, the point of this series is we're going to go through each of these uh, arts and we're going to talk about them and understand how they contribute to the educational process. But let's do a little bit more fine tuning in our definitions. Yeah. There's a movement in classical education to define especially the trivium slightly differently than perhaps how you're talking about it today. And there's some, some merit to it. Right. But we also have some critiques. So can you talk a little bit about Dorothy Sayers' model of the trivium, her developmental model, and what you think of it and how helpful is it for education yeah. today? Yeah. Well, first of all, there's a lot of, I think, helpful uh, – you know, I think what she has to say is, is helpful in the sense that, um, you know, the model there is kind of a developmental model that we're at the younger years, you're learning um, – uh, grammar and then at the you know that's like grade school and then you know middle school you're 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 learning kind of, it's kind of the logic stage right so you're beginning to do more abstract thinking and then um in the uh, high school years um that's really the rhetoric stage where you're learning to make arguments you're learning to be persuasive things like that and in one sense like that that does make a lot of sense you know like kids at an early age probably do need to um, you know, be large on grammar and small on rhetoric. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, right. and uh, but may so that's a it, that sort of paradigm help is helpful, um, but it it might also hide the fact that um, grammar can exist at all levels. Mm. Right, uh, grammar is a is a grammar and logic are skills that are going to be just as present in a different way. Uh, or just as present, like in your senior year of high school, as it is in your you know third grade year of, of grammar school, but it's going to be present in a different way. I'm glad to hear you say that because I thought that that's why you're teaching Sylvia, your infant, Greek grammar right now, <laughs> yeah. is because you didn't know she'd be able to learn it later. Well, and and you know <laughs> that's not the case. Uh, <laughs> um, ideally, you know she'll y yes, she's learning you know hard linguistic grammar right now, uh, but. You know, grammar also, you know, and I think we'll probably talk about this a little bit later, but um, grammar also constitutes just uh, putting putting um, a name, putting, a, a, you know, a label to things out in the world. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if you're going to learn a new discipline in, in your junior, senior year, like say you're going to start moving into the study of ethics, then there's a whole grammar mm -hmm. behind the study of ethics, you know, right. deontology. Mm -hmm. Um, virtue, excellence, arete, um, eudaimonia, right? So all these are, you know, Greek concepts or modern concepts. So there's a grammar to be learned to, you know, something like the study of ethics. Um, so, I mean, just stepping back to answer the question, I mean, there's, there, there is some, there's some help to seeing the, just acknowledging the basic fact that kids at an earlier age, you know, they're not, they're not really thinking 
they're, they're still developing those foundational skills that are going to prepare them to think, you know, logically. They're going to prepare them to begin to make distinctions. Um, and then they're certainly still preparing to be able to make persuasive arguments. Right. You know, we don't expect the same level of rhetoric from a third grader that we do, uh, a, you know, a, a junior in, in high school. But we do expect a third grader to begin to use language to make a point. Right, right. Right, and so that's why even a third grader, there's some expectation that rhetoric is going to be involved in the in, in communication. Mm. Um, so, uh, you know, I want to say both there's a positive to that sort of paradigm, but then also maybe th there's a risk in that paradigm hiding the fact that these things can exist at multiple levels. And tell me if you agree with this, but I, I think another part of the critique with Dorothy Sayers' model is that when she was making this case, she wasn't necessarily making a historical argument. She seems to be making a practical, observational argument yeah. um, about the nature of mm -hmm. kids. They memorize a lot when they're little, yeah. and they become more articulate when they're older. Yeah. Um, but what we have attempted to do here, following Martin and Cheryl Lowe and others who have come before us, is try to recover a historical perspective on education. These definitions have slid. Mm -hmm. And historically, they did not use these terms to denote purely developmental stages. And so it's helpful in our education to learn from the wisdom of the ancients. And yeah, is that is that your observation as yeah, well? Yeah, I think that, you know, in our, you know, we I, in the last, you know, century, we've become more sensitive to the fact that, um, you know, in, in terms of a child's development, um, they learn things at different levels at different times and they mm -hmm. acquire the ability to think in different ways as they get older. Um, and so I do think that the, the, you know, Dorothy Sayers was, you know, stepped into that and said, Hey, um, you know, there is, there is some truth to this sort of th this fact that kids at a young age can just absorb a lot. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think there was a, you know, as our understanding of human psychology was growing, um, then there was a helpful nod to that uh, with Dorothy Sayers um, but then as, you know, as we continue on and say, yes, there's some good there, let's embrace that. But then let's try to define uh, historically what these terms have meant. Then we're, we're able to see that, you know, the liberal arts have their tentacles and students from the earliest ages mm, yeah. through, uh, through, I mean, through, through today, I mean, through us right now, right, right, <laughs> you right. know, hopefully we're still growing in our grammar and logic and rhetoric, right, right. Um, and, and this, yeah, so there, I, you know, there are a lot more can be said there. Sure. Um, but at the end of the day, I, 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 returning to these historic definitions uh, that really began with Plato um, and uh, helps us see how um, these skills are alive and active for, for an education beginning in kindergarten uh, or in the case of my little, my little girl, uh, four months uh, <laughs> and really continues to you know, to the end of life. So let me ask you to give your perspective from uh, inside the school of Memorial Press Online Academy, which has a, a full and thriving curriculum itself. Mm -hmm. um, your observation on the role that the liberal arts have in curriculum itself. We talked in our last episode about moral philosophy and how important it was that the educational process be aimed at, at growing up students to be virtuous. Mm -hmm. We want students to be virtuous. We want them to fear the Lord as a result of our education. But the liberal arts has a special place, right? Because it is the skill training and the content transformative bedrock 
of our education. How have you seen that play out with the Memorial Press Online Academy, the way that you guys are offering classes, the way that you guys are telling your teachers how to how to teach, so on? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, a, a couple things. Like in the context, there are more than just the liberal arts in an education, mm -hmm. right? There are the um, – in, in an education, um, there would also probably be the manual arts. Mm -hmm. The manual arts would be like uh, carpentry or um, sewing or cooking, right? Mm -hmm. These are these are arts that produce something. And in a classical school, we're not teaching those arts. Right, right. <laughs> and uh, not that those arts aren't important. I mean, you need good, virtuous plumbers and you need right. good, virtuous carpenters um, and seamstresses, right? So uh, there is a kind of... Uh, in terms of education, a higher value that's placed on um, for the purposes of education, the liberal arts. And um, in, in a school setting, right, I mean, think of uh, just because I'm teaching moral philosophy right now, I've been thinking about it a lot. I don't want to exhaust everyone with, with ex illustrations from that. But, um, you know, it might be helpful just to realize and, and begin to evaluate every class to the extent that it's going to be grammar heavy, logic heavy, mm. or rhetoric heavy. Right. You know, in a literature class, upper level literature class, um, you know, it, it might be really heavy on rhetoric. Mm. You know, you might be asking your students to make and write persuasive essays about a particular point in, in, in a novel, um, you know, um, so that might be heavy on on rhetoric. But in a class like moral philosophy, you're going to have to learn definitions and the names for things. So it might be initially heavy on on grammar, but then by the end of a moral philosophy class, then hopefully it'll it'll kind of uh, the capstone will be a sort of rhetoric time where we can make persuasive arguments with one another about the nature of of, of ethics today or the nature of how they should be. Um, now, there's also a, I think even in that class, you can kind of see a development at the very beginning of a class. You know, you're defining terms, you're trying to. Um, you know, clearly uh, point at things in the in, in the world and define them for what they are. And then there's a logic stage probably in a moral philosophy class where you're um, beginning to uh, talk about um, what things make sense, what, what moral arguments make sense, what moral arguments don't make sense, why do they not make sense, how do they syllogistically break down. And then by the end, hopefully uh, in a class like that, you've, you've acquired the definitions and the definitional knowledge, and you've been able to make distinctions so that now you can make a persuasive argument about this is what moral philosophy should be today. And that's what I had all my students do. That's their final essay um, is, you know, talking about moral philosophy today. It's either making making an argument that it, it's all wrong <laughs> or making an argument that, you know, we need to return more positive argument. We need to re we need to return to Aristotle or, or, or Thomas Aquinas or something like that. Um, and. You know, some classes are going to do that, but I think moral philosophy is a great example of that's kind of touching on all three. Uh, and probably every class is going to have some element of that. Um, but, um, you know, some classes are going to be pretty, are going to emphasize pretty heavily on one or the other. You know, like the study of Latin. I mean, from, it's not really until you're reading texts where, you know, the logic and rhetoric are kind of coming in. You know, it, it, you, especially from like third grade on mm. in these younger years, you're pretty much just studying grammar. You right. know, you're learning vocabulary, you're learning grammar forms, seeing how sentences are fit together so that you can make sentences. Um, and at the end of the day, I mean, grammar, logic, and rhetoric, that is the curriculum. I mean, we offer classes in grammar, 
in we have law traditions we teach traditional logic and we teach rhetoric you know we teach students how to make good arguments right, right? so we do we have entire classes that are dedicated to these that uh, you know to these skills right um, and and that's been the case since you know the Greeks and the Romans <laughs> it's it's certainly more than that but it, it can never be less right. than those those yeah. disciplines so that was our first episode defining terms giving people a sense of what is the liberal arts we took a, a broad view going forward we are going to define each of them we're going to talk a little bit about them how they show up in curriculum and I think it's gonna be a lot of fun thanks for doing this yeah thanks <laughs>